welcome to StarCast. I'm Joe Stark, and today I am sitting and having a conversation with my grandpa, Alfie. How's it going today, man? All right. <laughs> Just, we're seeing sunshine. Got to start up another day. <laughs> I'm just laughing because I just said to my grandpa, how you doing, man? <laughs> yeah. It made me think of that story when uh, great-grandpa had yelled at one of the, the grandkids for calling him man. <laughs> Did you ever hear that story? No, I didn't. What was that one? I, I think they were hanging out in the basement in his house or something. It was, it was dad oh. and one of his cousins, oh. and great-grandpa came down in the basement, and, and, and I don't that remember was, which cousin that, it was. That was probably Rosemary's boy. Okay, I, I don't remember which one it was, but he, he looked at Grandpa and was like, What's up, man? He's like, I'll give you man or something like that. <laughs> he and was he, not into being called that. No, he was not. <laughs> he was not very big, but he meant what he meant, Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got some memories of Great Grandpa, but, you know, they're all child's memories. So yeah. it's, it's very different. I, I, you, you speak in the one on Grand, on Dad. He had a shotgun, and your dad, Randy, borrowed that shotgun to go pets and hunting. Of course, I had one or two, and uh, your dad had that shotgun for quite a while, and <laughs> we went up there for Christmas, and he says to Randy, he says, do you ever bring stuff home you borrow? <laughs> Wanted his shotgun back. Yeah, he wanted his shotgun back. <laughs> and I think it was a it was a sixteen gauge that uh, I ended up buying that, and then he's got it now. I think. Oh, okay. And, I don't know if I've ever seen a sixteen gauge. I know I've definitely heard of them. Oh yeah. And then he had a, my grandpa Elliot had a twelve gauge that my brother got, and. Uh, I don't know how we lucked out to get that because we usually didn't get much from the <laughs> presents from the aliens. <laughs> yeah, well, you grew up with a big family, too. Yeah, ten of them. Well, there's nine of us when we come up from Missouri. Mm -hmm. No, well, there was only, there was only uh, four of us come up from, no, just three of us come up from Missouri. So how old were you when you moved here from Missouri? I was born on December 24, 35, and we come to Iowa in March of 36. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you really don't have much of, you wouldn't have any memories of Missouri, right? No, now. the only memory I have of is us going back to Missouri to do stuff. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, where Dad lived, and, well, I heard Dad, Dad's dad always raised mules, and Dad broke mules. And, oh, really? Yeah. Teams of mules. They farmed with them mules. I think, if I remember right, they we come to Iowa with a team of mules and a wagon from La Plata, Missouri. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so you rode up here in a wagon? Yep. That's incredible. I, I was only, well, I born December 24th. Yeah. So I wasn't very old. I was just a baby. And uh, we moved over by uh, Albertette, uh -huh. in uh, some of my mother's relation to Johnny Jones's house. And Dad was working for them when we come to Iowa. <laughs> so then, when did you move kind of out near Kwaski? 
we moved up McQuaskey. We well, we moved several houses. We lived up Troy, and then we lived around, moved in several houses in Lafayette, mm-hmm. which is a few miles west of Alvernet. And uh, Dad was in the army, and he got out in 1946. That's when we went to Kwaski to farm my mother's great uncle's farm. Okay. And uh, and we milked cows and fed pigs and milked a lot of cows. <laughs> I remember one of your brothers telling a story at one point of you trying to ride a cow. Oh, yeah. Like jumped into the creek or something. <laughs> See that scar? Oh, no. <laughs> that, that's where I fell off that cow in the creek. <laughs> I said, when we went to the house, I said, don't tell them all, he's riding the cow. <laughs> Did they tell on you? Yeah, she knew it. <laughs> <laughs> what did great grandma Helen think of that? She just well, she just bandaged it up, and there's my scar. How'd you get on a cow? Wasn't hard. We was pretty young. <laughs> I can't remember what a cow. <laughs> well, we moved there in '44. I would have only been nine years old, and. You were nine years old when that happened? Yeah. <laughs> well, Aiden's ten. Yeah. So I'm picturing Aiden jumping on a cow in the rain. And there's Holsteins. <laughs> well, they was pretty tame, really. Yeah. And, of course, we milked them by hand. And, uh, well, what a life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I being pretty much a town kid... You know, yeah. like I, I love being out in the woods, but it would have been a totally different experience to actually grow up but on you a farm like that. You never heard this one then. Marvin, the young brother, just younger than I am, he lives out in Green River, Wyoming now. And uh, they had a team of horses. They always had a team of horses on the farm. And, of course, we worked horses. And... Uh, well, Marvin had a stick for some odd reason. And he went up and hit that horse in the rope with that stick. Well, that horse kicked him. Oh, no. But he hit, hit him right in the head here. And it split him open up there. And we was quite a ways from the house. And I remember, I remember telling him, I said, tell Ma you're running into a post. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she doctored him up. I bet she had to do that quite a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, she did. That was a that was a full time job. <laughs> of course, that's where Rosemary and Janice was born in that house. Okay, and uh, where we lived there, east of Kwaski. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you end up working on the milk truck? Now that was when we moved off of my uncle's farm down, Lowell Walter's farm down by. North of Troy Mills, and we milked cows and stuff there. And we had a team of horses, and then each farm, we farmed uh, 160 acres. All with the teams of horses? With the team of horses and each farm. And I always helped Dad, but I always fed the horses. <laughs> anyway, Dad went out and checked the horses. Evidently, I didn't, I didn't, Feed him just the way he thought I should have. Well, he'd give me a paddling. And uh, 
Well, I was just 15 or 16 years old, and I didn't like them paddles. Of course, he was very strict. And uh, I put, after he paddled me, I went to the house and changed clothes and said, See ya! <laughs> and I walked to Kwaski, which was eight miles, and I stayed with some friends for three or four days. I was in, I was in a, I was a freshman in high school then. Uh-huh. At Kwaski. And, uh, Dad would come, I'd see him in town, and he's sitting on the bench, and he said, well, Dwayne, you're ready to come home? <laughs> I said, not yet. But then the next summer is when I started driving the milk truck for Lee Rasmussen. I was just 16 years old at that time. Uh-huh. Yep, hauled a double-deck load of milk. <laughs> Picked up the cans every day and took them into Wapsie Valley Creamy. How I ever remembered to, you got to load them cans because you have a double-deck and you got to load them the way you pick them up, uh-huh. and then if, if then you got to put them back in the truck just right, or you had to move cans all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I Making enjoyed it. For yourself. And uh, Wapsie Valley, they made awful good Longhorn cheese there. Yeah. <laughs> Every time we'd get done loading our milk, unloading our milk, and then when they wash your cans. And we reload them, we'd pull off the, out there in the yard, up there in the, the parking lot. And we'd go back and get in the Wilbur's cheese. <laughs> He'd always tell us, you always get out of my cheese. <laughs> and then, then it'd become later in the year, they made cheese, they hauled it to Cedar Rapids in a barrel, wood barrel. Really? Yeah, and... Uh, so I on Wednesday afternoon we had had to unload our cans, and then we'd load up the cheese and take it down to Cedar Rapids on Eighth Avenue. There mm-hmm. was a little creamery down there at that time, and well, of course this was well I was sixteen. So how long did that drive take back in those days? What's that? How long did it take back in those days to drive all the way to Cedar Rapids? Yeah, well, we drove a we had a. I had a brand new Chevrolet truck. When yeah. the first drive started driving that milk drowdy, he had a 44 Diamond T <laughs> with a stick shift. And then, then he bought a new Chevrolet milk truck. Uh-huh. You know, it took, it, we, we could drive 50, 55, 60 mile an hour going to Cedar Rapids. Oh, no. <laughs> it, we'd go down through, uh, well, we'd come down to, corner west of Walker, come back and go down through Center Point okay. and go into Cedar Rapids on low 150 <laughs> and go down to 8th Avenue. I don't know how I knew that stuff, but I, just a young kid, I would, <laughs> but I, I drove that truck until my brother got out of the Navy and he come back to Iowa. Of course, I wasn't living at home. I was living with Lee Rasmussen. Mm-hmm. He he's keeping me just like his own boy. Well, we'd start hauling milk at eight five o'clock in the morning, uh-huh. and she'd fix breakfast for us. And then 
Lee's boy, younger boy, he had a boy a year or so younger than me. Well, Daryl was his name, and he always rode the route with me. Uh-huh. And uh, Lee would say, now, Dwayne, don't you let him drive that truck. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we did stuff with Buddy Spolstry once in a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what sort of trouble would you guys get into? Huh? What sort of trouble would you guys get into? Well, one time we picked up some milk out west of Kwaski. And, well, we ended up east of Kwaski. We had a long lane. Then we, I don't know where we stopped to get, we got our load. And then we went into Judd Rasmussen's place and had a long lane. Daryl says, let me drive over to Judd's. So I did. And Daryl got going down that narrow road, going into Judd's, and he got one side of the truck off into the little, little ditch. wasn't bad, uh-huh. but he got her back up, and the truck went like this. I still hear them cans jumping. <laughs> and we got up to the windmill, and where we picked up Judd's milk, and I says, "Get the other side. You never get to drive no more." <laughs> Oh, God. What a deal. <laughs> so how did you end up getting into the Navy then? Well, that's when my brother come back from California. He'd been in the Navy, and he, we lived, still lived out there by Kwaski. And they are out there by Troy, north of Troy Mills. And uh, he come over to Lee Rasmussen, where I was... All the milk. Of course, we always serviced the truck in the afternoon. And uh, he says, I got to take you home. So anyway, he took me home. And he says, you need to be living at home instead of uh-huh. here. And uh, anyway, I went. And uh, then he, that, after, that afternoon or couple days later, I think, he took me into Cedar Rapids, and he told me, he says, well, I would just, yeah, it would have been the next year after I turned 17. Yeah, December turned 17. And uh, <laughs> he took me down there, and he said, I'm going to get you in the Navy. We're going to straighten you out. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like what he told me. But anyway, he took me down. It, the recruiting station was down on, I think it was on between 2nd and 3rd Street, 3rd Avenue, the southeast side of Cedar Rapids. That's where the recruiting station was. Okay. Anyway, he took me in there, and I, I had to, of course, I had to take a little test. And I passed that stuff, evidently. And he got me in on a minority cruise. That that is you. If you get in before you're 18, mm-hmm. and then you get out before you're 21, so that's why I went on a minority cruise. They called it. Okay. So that's how I. And then November, November of that year, or that same year, I enlisted. It. They got me in the Navy. They went to Des Moines and took the physical, and then they put us on the Pullman. Mm-hmm. took us to San Diego. <laughs> Did you have to do like any sort of like boot camp or how does that oh, work yeah. in the Navy? Oh, yeah. 
We had the first thing we got there is they, we got there in the evening. It took us three days to go across mm-hmm. to San Diego, and uh, they hauled us in a bus in there. Of course, we all got out. They took our sippies away from us, put them in. I think it was I don't know what it was. Anyway, they took our sippies away from us, give us our navy sea bag, mm-hmm. and then they. Give us a haircut. <laughs> and then, yeah, we did, uh, well, really, it was about three months of boot camp. Okay. And uh, that was in, and then I come, I spent Christmas in San Diego that year. And I went to a family's, I don't know, I got picked to go to a, a, a family in San Diego, fed me dinner on Christmas Day. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it is. And I remember that. I always wished I had wrote them names down. Of course, I used, I wrote, I wrote your grandma letters mm-hmm. and called her from San Diego when I was in boot camp. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've known your grandma since she was, what, 13? Oh. Yeah. And, uh, but anyway, yeah, and then we, after we graduated from boot camp, we come home for, I think we come home for 14 days. Took a train back to Iowa, mm-hmm. then went back to San Diego. And then they kept us around San Diego. That was in March, I think. And then they loaded us on a seaplane mm-hmm. and flew us to San Francisco to, to, uh, what they called Paris Island, I think it was, up in Sandy, San Francisco. Okay. They was getting us ready to go to Japan and uh, got on a troop transport ship, headed for San Francisco. Took us 14 days. <laughs> <laughs> we landed in Yokohama, and that's a few miles North of this, or well, I think it was south, maybe, of the Yokosuka base where I was going. It was that's a big base. It has it has a big port there, and there's a big naval hospital there, and it's one of the bigger ports. They repair ships and stuff coming up from well, it's during World War Two. Mm-hmm. Ships that come up there and get repaired. And uh, it was a big port. And then I was, I was stationed with the Marines. And uh, because you're an MP, right? Yes, I was. Uh, I well, I was the first. First got there. I got to tell you about this. I first got there that night in Yakuska. They brought us in. It was supper time. So I, uh, of course, they took us to the mess hall to feed us and. I'll never forget this because then I I got my tray of food walking down through that galley, that big galley, and uh, guess what? I there sat my brother. He was coming to the states, <laughs> and I was just getting there. And, well, it was just had a total a, chance encounter. You just happened to run into your brother. Just happened to run into my brother. He was he was on the Quadrivian Islands. And then he was coming back to States. Uh-huh. And this was, 
This was probably about the 29th or 30th of April. And uh, so my then they took me to our holding area that night. Mm-hmm. And then the next day they took me to the Marine barracks where I was going to be stationed with the Marines because I was a seaman guard when I first went there. I didn't know what it was going to be when I got there. Uh-huh. It was a bunch of us signed up to go to Japan. And then <laughs> it was it was quite a deal. Of course, we had to do an inspection every morning with the Marines. Yeah. And then when I had guard duty around the base, we would... We've had we had to go on guard duty every four hours in the night or sometime, mm-hmm. and then next day just do our whatever we did <laughs> until I until I got promoted to be an MP. That's when I went out the fleet landing, and uh, I had a I always. We, we drove Jeeps at that time. We had a Marine uh-huh. and then me. And, uh, of course, go back, back to, we're getting a little ahead of my story. But on May Day in Japan, you don't have no liberty there at that big base. Mm-hmm. They put water cannons on all the gates, and the Japanese demonstrate. Oh, they get fanciest clothes, and, of course, they walk in their gators, and it looks just like millions of people out going down the street. Oh, wow. They demonstrate ever May Day. And uh, it's quite a thing to see them, people. <laughs> and what was that like going from, you know, rural Iowa, you know? It was, it was completely different. Yeah, I mean, it had to just the culture would have been so different. And, and also, you would have been 18. around 10 years old when World War II was going on. Right? Yeah, well, World War II, uh, yeah, at Basie. And so what was I it like? I was nine being... years old when Dad got out of the, out of the Army. Yeah. In, in, uh... So, I mean, what was it like going to a place that was formerly, you know, a, I mean, a bad enough enemy that we had to drop to well, and see, the, bombs the, on them? And they, after they signed that thing, that the only people that had guns in Japan at that time was the police. Okay. The, the 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 civilian population never had. They had all weapons gone. Uh huh. And I don't know what they've got them probably today over there, but but it was quite a thing. There was a Japanese policeman rode in the jeep with us too. Yeah. Because it was a different language. <laughs> Did course, you pick up much Japanese when you were there? Yeah, you pick it up. You can understand when they they're talking. You after you're there a while, you can hear you. And this and that. That means good morning. <laughs> I've heard it's a tricky language to learn. It is a tricky language, but we could tell when they're mad they because they get to saying these odd words. Of course, that's the reason you got a Japanese policeman in, but you pick it up pretty quick. Uh-huh. And, uh, but there's crazy people come in and them sailors come in the fleet landing. Uh-huh. Of course, they've been out to sea for quite a while. They're in there for one reason, <laughs> rest and recreation. <laughs> yeah, and being an MP, you probably have to deal with them when they get yes, on the Yes, we, we was trying to keep them them sailors sober. 
<laughs> but that was a trick. That that was a big. Oh, that was a, you, you. You didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> then, of course, I get that. I rode it in the jeep <clears throat> until I got a permanent. There was a corporal Palm Bear, and I drove a sedan. We checked the outer post around the Yakuska base, mm-hmm. and it's a big base, and. Uh, People you can't believe dislike bees on, they call that Souvenir Alley. Yeah. Oh, God. The shops up and down the street, Korskisha houses, this and that. And I remember, of course, we had, they had yen over there because we always had to change our money to yen. Uh-huh. And it was 160 yen to a dollar <laughs> at that time. Uh-huh. And, uh, oh, it was quite a thing. Of course, the M Club down there, they sold us. Of course, we was pretty young when we was there, but they always served us if anything we wanted, we could have. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'd sell us whiskey or anything. <laughs> we was pretty young. We shouldn't have been drinking. Did you try warm, did you try warm sake when you were there? Oh, yes. I've heard that's pretty stout. I've it never, is. A, it, 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 well, it's a. It's a made of rice. Uh-huh. It's a. It's a. It's and, a rice uh, spirit. They they get it hot, uh-huh. and that stuff will hit you. <laughs> then they have Akadama wine too. It comes in a. Then their beer comes. I can't. I we used to drink a lot of beer. Of course, we had a lot of whiskey too. <laughs> I didn't write home too much. I was. Not a good letter writer, which I Linda can vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> but then you were only in until you were twenty-one. Yep. Well, I I I got in Yakuski in April of fifty-four, and I come home in May of fifty-six. They uh, took me to Tokyo, and I got up there, and. Uh, of course, there was a Navy guy there at the counter where we was going to put you on a... Well, they usually put you on seaplanes. Mm-hmm. Not seaplanes, but I mean, they got they don't have seats. And anyway, they fly in. This, this Navy guy said to me, he says, you hang back. And uh, they got me on planner. I got on a pair of American Airlines. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Didn't have to ride in a cargo plane. <laughs> didn't have to. Didn't have to ride in a cargo plane with the Marines. And uh, but anyway, I can. I remember. It was a four motor job, and we landed in uh, Midway Island to refuel, and then we we left there, and that was in the sand dunes, you might say. But anyway, the small island. You, I thought. How in the hell are we going to land on that thing? <laughs> of course, we was only up 18,000 feet. But uh, then we went to Hawaii. And we was there about four hours. We had one engine that fired, so they had to work on that. But they wouldn't let us off. Oh, no. <laughs> and then we flew into Travis Air Force Base in San Francisco from Hawaii. And then... That's when I, 
the I went to Travis Air Force Base, then they put me on in that. I can't remember that what that base was there, Paris Island or something. Anyway, right not too far from the Oakland Bay Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay. And uh, you you could drive go across the bridge. You could see Alcatraz, <laughs> and then Oakland Bay Bridge. It's a big bridge there. And then. I got an air flight out of San Francisco to Cedar Rapids and come back and I got here. It was May of 56 when I, she had graduated, just graduated. No, I went to graduation, didn't I? Now I think I bought you that cedar chest for your graduation present. Yeah. It's upstairs. Oh, that one? Yeah. Those things are the best. Huh? Cedar chests are the best. Yeah. <laughs> I love that smell of cedar. Yeah, it does. But Rod made that one at the end of the bed. Oh, cool. Yeah, in there. And then that's what your grandmother and I, I, and then I was here, I was in, I lived in Independence that my folks did. And then I went back to San Diego at the end, but about the end of, end of May or Anyway, that's when I went to San Diego and went aboard the Destroyer. Oh, okay. And then I was on that until, let's see, well, we, I was in stationed in San Diego on the Ingersoll, it was. Well, there's a picture of it. Yeah. And uh, we'd go out every day. We'd go out all week and have shore bombardment. Mm -hmm. shoot the five inch projectiles <laughs> you had to keep practicing <laughs> you'd just be on a destroyer and you'd just go off the coast and just shoot at the yeah, coast yeah just go out in the yeah go out, go out there off the, I don't know where we'd, we'd anchor out at night uh -huh. out there and then I remember we'd come, always come in on Friday evening sometimes we didn't get in there until midnight it, it's kind of funny this captain we had, he was a destroyer commander, or not a destroyer, uh, subs commander, but anyway, he was a captain of our ship. And uh -huh. I remember we'd tie up along ships out there in the bay that was anchored at buoys because we didn't go into the piers at night, midnight. And that captain would just fly into them things. I, I wondered how in the hell we going to get stopped. <laughs> <laughs> He'd take that thing and, of course, the, the guys up in the bridge, they on that where they, they run, of course, we were, I was a watchman up on the bridge, and that, then the command, the uh, executive officer would tell us, we ain't having no liberty tonight, well, this, then you can go in liberty on Monday or Saturday, the captain would tell him, Anybody who wants to go on liberties, welcome to go in. We will get you ashore. <laughs> and when you, if you stay on ship, Saturday morning you have inspection. So you'd go into the go in stay an all night movie. Yeah, and fool just around. to avoid huh? <laughs> just to avoid being caught up in an inspection. Yeah, just, that didn't have stand inspection the next day <laughs> unless you had duty. But it was it was it was quite a thing. And then we, 
Do you feel like you learned some good discipline out of it and stuff? Oh, they 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 taught me discipline exactly. <laughs> did it straighten you out? <laughs> it, it absolutely did. Because it they taught me that in boot camp, and uh, of course we wore whites in boot camp, and we always had a white hat. Of course, I was just <laughs> just about, well, I just turned eighteen in December, and I remember. I had peach fuzz for whiskers, and uh, they told us, uh, you will shave every day, and you keep, of course, they give us the navy haircut, and you take that white hat off and hold it in your hand, and it best not be no dirty in it, no, so you don't wear them hats you wore at an inspection, uh-huh. <laughs> because if you wear a dirty hat, they're not going to make you eat it <laughs> or chew on it. And if you don't shave, they'll rub the razor on it. I've heard that story before, that they'll narf up a razor and then make you shave with something that's they'll, like... They'll shave you with that damn thing. Ah. And uh, that's where I got my discipline. Because <laughs> there was quite a few of us in my company. Uh-huh. Company 332, I remember. And... Uh, what I seen them doing to them guys, I'd be sure that I did. I would not be caught with any dirty hats and no peach fuzz. <laughs> you learn from other people's discipline, right? That, that's exactly right. Because yeah. And then you don't stargaze around either when you're marching. Because they'll have you laying on the grinder with your M1 above your head. <laughs> They call the they call the parade field the grinder. <laughs> Did they make you guys carry a full M1 Garrett or was it the it was smaller a, M1? It was an M M1. Okay, so it was the full size. Yeah, full M1. size. It was a six, so cool. it was sixteen pounds. Yeah, and uh, we we carried that. We had that M1 all the time. Yeah, we even had one in Japan that kept in our locker. Okay. And uh, that's a nice rifle. I looked into oh, buying one it, years ago, it, but I was uh, like, "Oh, it's expensive." But yeah, they, it, I mean, it is. They're a work of art. Of course, we had a in our military police journey. We, of course, we wear white belts. Had them leggings on our shoulder to be able to be on this side because it had to be fastened to your forty-five, and then you'd have a clip for your forty-five. You'd always have five. Rounds in the clip. Uh huh. Never have a clip in the in the chamber, and uh, or around in the chamber. Never don't put no rounds in the chamber, and it, but oh, they, they taught us discipline. Yeah, I bet that was heavy to carry around though. That'd be it, a full size. Well, no, it, that, you got used to it. It was you could shoot that thing and it, <laughs> you can hit the target. Yeah. Well, I remember when I had my carry permit, I got tired of carrying just a Glock around. It, and that's the majority of that's plastic. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, this forty-five. Of course, you don't. You don't. It's in a holster. Yeah, and uh, you don't draw that weapon unless you're sure somebody's committed a felony. <laughs> Did you have to draw yours very often? I I only drew it one time. Some guy was running away from us, and uh, he didn't know it. But I pulled that weapon and I said, "Ha!" And I, I slid that, slid the slide back and put that chamber in the uh-huh. thing. Ha! 
He said, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. <laughs> I wouldn't have shot him if he'd have kept going. <laughs> but anyway. The 230 grain ball round that stop anybody pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was a lot of great experiences. You've never... I remember one time, Palm Bear, a couple of Palm Bear and I, we'd get called down to the M Club one night about midnight. And of course, there's rickshaws around there, and there was this Marine off of one of the ships and had him pull him down to the <laughs> the M Club and before he went back to ship. And he was pretty loaded and got down there, and he had tore that. Ricochet just pinned tore it to pieces. Oh no! And I says, "Why in the world did you do that?" He says, "I can still hear him." He says, "He charged me four hundred yen to ride that down here." And he says, "I thought I bought it, so I tore it up." <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> we had to take him to the police station. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> He paid, charged me 400 yen. That's a little over a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose that would have been a lot more money back 360 then. 360 yen to a dollar, like I told you. Yeah. I never. Well, a dollar would have been a lot more money back. I mean, you were saying a movie was 12 yeah. cents. Well, that was in Kwaski. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, in Japan, it was free anyway. The really? movies. Oh, yeah. And they, of course, they only paid us $55 every two weeks. So <laughs> yeah. we didn't make much money. Well, you don't need money because they... Yeah. I, I think when I went to Japan, I think I weighed 153 or 4 pounds. And when I come home in 56, I weighed 90, 190 pounds. Oh, jeez. And, well, they fed us good. Yeah, sounds like it. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, they kept us in shape because we we had to do calisthenics and stuff. We marched every Friday. Yeah. If it didn't rain. If you're eating well and exercising a lot, you're going to put on a lot of muscle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, a, it was a great experience. Had the Marines in inspect us. Of course, we'd have to go out there. We had a, a gunny. Second class gunner's mate was our company commander, us Navy guys. Of course, there was a staff sergeant. The Marines had shoes built up so he could be taller. <laughs> and he'd come That's up hilarious. And, yeah, he'd, he'd come up to you, and when you go to the inspection arms, you know, and, and you pull the push the thing back, and when he grabs that weapon, let him have it. Yeah, right. And when he gives it back to you, be ready to take it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was quite an experience. Yeah. And they they did teach me. Of course, you always break a few rules once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> I know jumping ahead a little bit, but how did you end up owning a golf course? How did I end up buying that golf course? Right out here. I see. Well, I was had been working in the lumber yard at that time. Well, I worked for the county before that, and then I, I quit that job and I was working in the lumber yard. But anyway, they were selling the lumber yard. 
And that's when I built a new house down on Valley Street. And, uh, of course, I golfed out there when Doyle Benson, Pat Sherman and them's dad, mm-hmm. he worked at Lake Belt, and he owned the golf course. He built the golf course, in fact. Okay. And I was out there fooling around, playing golf, and he come up to me, and he says, uh, Alfie. I said, yeah, Doyle. He says, you ought to buy this golf course. I said, God, Doyle, I don't have money to buy that. I just just moved upstairs down there, and that, we lived in a one year of that upstairs mm-hmm. where Greg Schaefer's lives. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, you can afford it. And I says, well, just for the, how much money do you want for this thing? And he says, $30,000. <laughs> and what year was this in? This was in the, in the summer of 1969. Okay. And uh, I, we, he owned 27 acres, and the shed was there, and all the machinery, and this little, the clubhouse, mm-hmm. although they built onto it. We built onto it, and they I think they done some more. But anyway, he says, now, here's what I want. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. He says, I want to have you pay me $5,000 down. And he says, I'll carry a contract of 6% interest on the 25000 that's left. So that's how we bought the golf course. And then I sold that house to Greg Schaefer's. <laughs> I asked Linda, well, I got Linda, I'm surprised she went along with it because we just built that new house. Uh-huh. We'd lived in that basement four years, and then we got finished the upstairs. She said, God, we want to get to live up here a year. And, uh, and my grandpa died that fall when we was out remodeling that house we had to move into because it was, it was an old shack. Uh-huh. And uh, wasn't it, Mom? What? That house out the golf course. Yeah. And we remodeled it. And then Greg Schaefer paid me my money on my golf course. And we had money left. <laughs> <laughs> but then that's how I owned the golf course. And then I sold it in. We run the golf course, Linda and I and the boys, with a little help. And I... I went to the superintendent's shows around. They teach you stuff about the golf course. Kenny Delaney was a superintendent at Twin Pines, Cedar Rapids, and uh, he really helped me a lot on the golf course. And he took me, and then Leon Short run Little Wheels Limited down to Iowa City, where you buy your golf carts and stuff and your chemicals. And uh, he always took me under his wing. I bought a new, Doyle had a seven gang mower and it was kind of wore out. And I pulled it with a eight in Ford, the mower. And, uh, but I bought a new, I think the second year is there, I bought a new five gang Jacobson fairway mower. Oh, nice. And, uh, oh, I tell you. I got to tell you about <laughs> telling you stories. 
But I went into the bank. This Bill Bernella owns our bank. He's got several banks around. At that time, he owned this one and the one up the walker. And I went in there. Of course, I had money in the bank, but I didn't like to spend it because you need money for expenses. We didn't take in. I think the first year we took in between forty and fifty thousand dollars. Of course, around the golf was only a dollar for nine holes at that time. Uh huh. And beer was only fifty cents a can. <laughs> and we sold sandwiches and stuff. And <laughs> and uh, but Leon short. But then he back to buy the lawnmower. I went in there to that. Bert, Bert, Bernal, Bert, Bert Day was in there too, but Bernal happened to be in there as the president that day. And he told me, he says, I can't loan you that money to buy that fairway more. And I says, why not? Well, he says, well, I don't know if you'll make it out there. And I, so I says, well, Mr. Bernal, that's your prerogative. But I says, I tell you what, Mr. Leon Short down to Little Wheels Limited will loan me the money to buy that golf cart or them that gang more. He said, "This don't have to get your money to bank you. I'll, I'll, I'll do it." You know what? That brought Burnell to his knees. <laughs> he gave me the money. <laughs> Didn't give it to me. I had to pay it back. Well, yeah, yeah, I know what you meant. Yeah. Yeah, and, you made uh, agree to the loan. It, it, it taught the old boy a lesson. <laughs> you don't got a monopoly on lending here. <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, after we've been on the golf course, I think, well, well uh, after two years, I sold a, a share to Spencer Burrell. Mm-hmm. He bought half interest in the golf course from me. And... Uh, at that time, Stan Caesar was a real estate guy here in town. And he was always out the golf course. And he'd come out there one day, and after Spencer and I was partners, and that was in 70, probably 71 or 2. Anyway, he said that that rock house I bought mm-hmm. up there on Summit Street. He says, I got a house I want to take you down and show you. Well, I walked by that house when I lived at one on Valley Street when I worked for the road department. And uh, I always liked that house. Mm-hmm. It was a big old rock house. and two, That's, that's two, the first house that I remember you guys in. Yeah, yeah. That's where you stepped in the fire. Yeah. <laughs> Grandma was burning trash from that tree. But anyway, Stanley took me in there and he says, and that Mrs. Newland owned that house. They're the people that built that house, a doctor. And But anyway, she was, her family was selling that house. And uh, I says, well, how much did the guy ask him, Stanley? He says, $13,000. Wow. And I says, okay. So I've... I, I went up and talked to Bert Day at the bank. And I says, I got a chance to buy that house up there on Summer Street for $13,000, which is a bargain. And uh, even though they had a Stoker furnace in it, it had just took a lot of cleaning. But uh, 
Bert says, buy it. So he said, just write a check. And uh, anyway, back to Burnell again. He come up the bank a while back later. And Bert didn't make me sign, give him any collateral to buy that house. And uh, old Burnell was going through the paperwork and he said, how do you loan this guy that $13,000 with no collateral? I can still hear Bert Day. He says, I told him, I says, his name is his collateral. <laughs> well, that's not a bad deal. No, it was a good deal. But, and Burnell never said another word. <laughs> of course, then I sold that thing. What, in 86, I sold that. Well, you still had shares of it when I was in high school. Huh? You still had shares of the golf. Oh, you're talking about the house. Well, the golf course, we, oh, yeah, we, after I said, Spencer and I ran it two more years. And then, well, they was kind of wanting a country club here at that time. So we, they got a bunch of people together. I think we ended up with 16 of us. Yeah, because I, I, by the time that I was old enough to go out there and start golfing in high school, mm -hmm. I remember I used to be able to go out and golf for free because you had so many free passes. Yep, I had shares. Yep, and they just had like a notebook that had a bunch of people's names in it. I remember yep. they'd have to flip yep, through until right. they'd find your name. Mm -hmm. You know what? <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, rem I remember Rod, um, my Uncle Rod living out in that house when I was yeah, a well, kid. Yeah, he, well, he, he, he worked for the golf course a couple of years. Okay. After we, we moved in the house into the rock house in 73 and see randy your your dad graduated in 76 and rod graduated in 80 and uh that's when after we sold the golf court and he got out of school him and susie run the clubhouse and he took care of the fairways okay and stuff out there and uh yeah, I he, remember going out there and staying with them a lot before, yeah, before they had their kids. He always said, he says, we should have kept this golf course. We should have never sold it into a corporation. Well, it got to the, it was a, it, if they'd have done what the corporation would have did, what we started, we, we, so we had a hundred shares in the golf course. And they wanted to make it into a country club. If we could have improved it an awful lot. And we did improve it some, but not near as quick. And uh, then, but, but there's two or three guys in the corporation that thought they wanted to buy it, and they wouldn't. But, of course, the rest of us wouldn't sell our shares. Yeah. Then we ended up selling the whole thing. But you just think of the time, by the time we had that thing, I paid $30,000 for that thing. Uh-huh. And then, and then when we sold it to the guy that owns it today, they get, he gave us five hundred thousand for it. <laughs> yeah, that's quite an increase. It is. And then, like I told Grandma, and I can tell you today, I sold that thing three times. I sold a share to Spencer Burrell uh -huh. for half of what I paid for it, and then. We sold it into a corporation, and they paid us, Spencer and I, uh -huh. and uh, and then we sold it to this guy that owns it now, 
And I think each of our shares of that 500000 I think we got, what, thirty-three or $4,000 each. That's not bad. <laughs> See, I made, I told him, I says, well, Spencer made money twice, and I made it three times. <laughs> and I get, you know, I paid out of my pocket $5,000 yeah. at that time. And I just think what I made. Yeah. And then, <laughs> then I, I bought that house. And then we sold that house. We fixed it up a little. What we did, we put a new roof and a new kitchen in it. And I gave 13000 for it, and I sold it for, well, it was too cheap. Yeah. But I still I sold it to Deb and Steve over here. I think it was for $43,000. <laughs> and that was the Rock House? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember when you guys sold that and then moved into this place. Yeah. And I, I only give, I give 22000 for this one I bought. It. Wow. It's crazy when you think about it inflation. Is. Because my house, like I have a tiny little ranch house, and it was 85000 Huh. And I think that you got that rock house up there for, did you say 13000 Yep. That's a beautiful house, and it's huge. Oh, that was, you know, they, they started hauling rock to that house. In, 19, in 1910, and then there's some uh, rock layers from down to Toddville. I knew their name at one time. I'll think of it. But anyway, they're the one that done the rock work on that house. Yeah, because it's got like the field stones. That's right. It's yeah. got the, the, you don't call them nickel. No, no. Don't do that. <laughs> don't say it. Rocks. I know what they're called. <laughs> We don't need a history lesson. <laughs> oh boy! I'm just teasing I, you. Yeah, no. We get a, we get a. You know what? We get a. Well, I got to be very careful. Jamie gets right after me, and your ma does too. Yeah. Well, well I says, and that's that's part of being the history. age that you guys are. Is that think about it? When you first came to Iowa, you rode in a wagon. That's and right. Now we're living in a world where, like, like look at this tablet. Like, yeah. did you conceive of owning something like this when you were a kid? Nope. Like, the amount of changes, both both societal and technological, that you both have lived through. Like, you've seen such a crazy change in the way it, that human it, beings it, live on this planet. It has been a change. Yeah. And uh, we, ba- we baled hay. We made loose hay <laughs> when we farmed. <laughs> Matter of fact, we've done loose hay up to it by Kwaski, but... They always call it the meeting place. I could take you up there and show you them places someday. Yeah. I could show you all the places we lived around Lafayette, where my brother's coming up from uh, Louisville. Now, he'd be here by the 15th, I think. He's going to stay two months up to Independence. And he's oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. And, uh, and uh, I told your mother, your grandma, I says, I really ain't ready for him to come up here because... Linda not remembering, and then, well, we'll we'll do things. Yeah, and she's doing pretty good, I think. She won't talk on the phone to horror. Yeah, and see that's that. Well, that's already that's at Alzheimer's. Yeah, and uh, it's just. I told her I says, well, we just got to deal with it. <laughs> 
I know. I, I read articles online about different treatment things, but it's just they're just not there with it yet. And it's, it's no, it's they're sad. not there yet. Did you see that old that old box over there under them papers? Uh huh. That's that we brought that up from Missouri. That's the Stark Bible. Oh wow! Is in that? Bring it over and show it to him, Linda. Yeah, I think I've seen that before. We can we can check that. Your 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 uncle, your uncle remade remade that box for for Grandma. Oh, okay. That's and uh, did you did you know my my mother was born in this town? Yeah, I think you'd said that before. The the and you know where great grandma was born in that house right over by Grub Street in Center Point. Yep, that's it. And that and that was my great grandpa owned that stuff, that house, Wilson Jones. And uh, I got then when I got you was talking about me getting in the gas station. Yeah, yeah. When I was climbing trees. I went down after Linda and I went down when I got. I was climbing did you do that after the golf course, or or when did you have the job where you were trimming trees? That's just after I got up. Well, I got that job. My brother took me down when he got me out of driving the truck. He uh-huh. had me a job climbing trees. He fibbed to that guy about my my age. He told him I was eighteen. <laughs> and oh, so Earl this Wyatt, have been right after I've done right after the Navy or whatever. That was before the Navy. Okay. But anyway, and then we went down that same day. He had me that job down there to start climbing the Aspen Tree Expert Company. He says, I got you a job here. You're going to work. And then we got me enlisted in the Navy. And then I worked for climbing trees until they, I had to go to Des Moines. I went to Des Moines November 19th of 53. Okay. <laughs> so I, I worked for Earl Wyeth. And we at that time we clumbed the trees and tied in with a rope mm-hmm. and we had our saddles on and we tied in up way up the tree and we'd swing around and trim the trees away from the high lines and stuff. And uh when I then I left and went to the Navy, I didn't even tell her oh, I was leaving. I just <laughs> left. And, uh, like the ultimate no call, no show. Yeah, that's right. Where's Alfie? He's in San Diego well, by now. <laughs> yep, there he is. He was in San Diego, man. But you know what? I run into Earl again when, anyway, when I got back out of the Navy, I, I went down to talk to Earl. And you know, he hired me back. <laughs> and uh, so we didn't climb trees when it was raining. So I would be coming through Center Point and always stopped it. Kennedy 66 down there and uh, my uncle would was a mechanic there Delbert Elliott my mother's brother and he's a good mechanic but he whined women and song did they come before work <laughs> <laughs> so one day anyway one day I was I was heading home and it had rained down the Cedar Rapids and we weren't climbing trees and I got to tell you about that too. My uncle worked there, and he run the Chevy garage here. Uh-huh. And I needed a car when I got out of the Navy. And I was down there station one day talking to him, and I said, "I need a car." He says, "Just a minute." He could sell ice to the Eskimos, <laughs> but uh, anyway. 
he called the guy over to Cascade. And he says, come on, we're going to Cascade. He says, we're going to get you a car. It was a 19, I think it was the 1948 Chevy, was it, Linda? You remember that? But anyway, it was a 19, I think it was a 1948 Chevy sedan. And I, $100. Wow. <laughs> and it was a nice looking, it was an old gray car. Uh-huh. And you know, I didn't keep that car too long. And then, of course, her and I, she was working at Collins. And uh, I, uh, of course, I was living with my parents up to Independence. And uh, I went down to the Ford garage one day, and they had a 54 Ford in there, black one, nice one. And I traded that, that Chevrolet off for it. I don't even know what I got for it. <laughs> but anyway, then we got married, of course. But the but and it's but back to my grandma, my my grandpa. Now he lived there in that house. I got a picture of him. J- Jamie's got pictures of him. Okay. In that doing that family thing that they spit in the jar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The what the DNA testing. Yeah. I anyway, can't. I can't remember which. She's got you- pictures of my. Great grandpa in there, and he had a mustache. I got to tell you about that, because Kennedy lived there. He run that. Well, they lived in the house south of the station, and his mother lived in the house on north of the station. Then Grandpa lived the next place. Well, Grandpa Jones lived there, and <laughs> and uh, Kennedy had bought some fighting roosters. Oh my gosh. Well, they're them fighting roosters, you know, and little baby yeah. chickens. And he says, Dwayne, he called me Dwayne too. And he says, I got to tell you a story about your grandpa. He had that mustache. He always go, <laughs> before you <he'd> talk. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Kennedy went over one day and he told him, he says, Wilson, you know, your cat killed my roosters. <laughs> Grandpa says, Law don't recognize you owning a cat. <laughs> Kennedy what a looked, reply. Yeah. <laughs> Kennedy says to him, Well, then, Wilson, you wouldn't care if I shot that cat, would you? Guess not. <laughs> Kennedy says, I shot the cat. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God, I tell you, Joel, what funny things. <laughs> How did you end up owning the service station? Huh? How did you end up owning the service station? Well, I bought that when I quit working for Wall Boys. Well, I worked for Kennedy down there for three years. And then when they built the truck stop down here, he he was paying me $45 a week plus a little commission. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, when they built the 150 golf stop, they're still there. Kennedy owned that ground, and he owned the Standard Station too. Well, Connie Dunn was running the Standard Station at that time, and Connie wasn't doing too good down there. So Kennedy sent me down there to see if we get that place doing better. Mm-hmm. And I worked with Connie Dunn in there 
for a couple of years. <laughs> and uh, then Kennedy was telling me down there, station one day, he says, well, Gilbert Knob was the guy that helped him get the station going. And uh, he told him, he says, you don't want to pay that guaranteed salary that you're paying him $45 a week. And he says to me, he says, we're going to change the way we pay. I says, oh, yeah? I says, we're going to change the way. What are we going to do? Well, I'm going to take that salary away from me, and I'm going to, I'm going to have you work just on the commission. I says, I don't think that'll fly. <laughs> so anyway, I told him, I says, well, I'll, if I find a job, I'll probably quit. Anyway, Harlan Staten come in there. He was, uh, we had the veterinarians in Harlan Staten. He was an artificial inseminator, and he'd always stop in there on my day. I had every Thursday off, and uh, I'd ride around with him, and I told Harlan, I says, Kennedy's going to change the way he's paying me. He worked at Link Belt at the second year on on top of his first artificial insemination. And uh, he says, just don't get nervous. He says, I'll check in Link Belt, see what, what's going on down there. <laughs> and I think that was, that was in 1960, I think. Wasn't it? Huh? No, it wasn't. It. Hell no, Rod was just born. No, no. Yeah, we was living up on the Central City Road in Arlen's house, Arlo Kid's house. Yeah. But anyway, Arlen says, come in the station one day, and he says, uh, Friday, you go down the link belt. You be there at noon. And he says, uh, now, if they, you go in there. And it was on 6th Street there, but the railroad tracks, and there was a lumber okay. yard and stuff there. And uh, you know where it's at. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he says, if they tell you they're not taking applications, you tell her, well, I'm supposed to. Harlan had talked to the plant manager, and he was in an office in there, and that where they took, they had a bench back here and the counter where the lady was back there. And, and uh, as sure as the world, she says, well, we're not taking applications today. I said, well, I'm supposed to, I, this guy lived out in Toddville. I can't remember his name, but I got, I know it, but I can't say it. But, uh, so I went back and talked to him and, and he, he said, well, you go home. And, uh, we was in there an hour or so talking. And anyway, <laughs> before I got home, he'd called my wife. And says, so you have your husband go back down to Cedar Rapids and take a physical. So I went down there by 39th Street. There was the, where you turn up, up to Cedar Rapids Country Club, or mm -hmm. 29th. But anyway, there was a doctor's office there. So I went down there, but I went to work the next, next Monday. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? Politics. <laughs> yeah, it's not what you know, it's who you know. That's exactly right, Joe. But you know, I'll never harness Dayton. He always smoked them, them 
what they called it, and then one cigar, they had sweet something. Swisher sweets? Swisher sweets, yeah. <laughs> he's always smoking them things. But anyway, he says, boy, he says, if you screw this job up, I'll kick your ass clear to your shoulders. <laughs> I bet after he pulled strings to get you in there. Yeah, that's right. But you know what? I worked there 90 days, Joe. You've never heard this, have you? I don't know. But anyway... Anyway, I worked there 90 days. They had the biggest layoff they'd ever had. And of course, they laid us off. I was living up in that house on Central City Road. And uh, so Monday morning, after I got laid off on Friday, I was down to the gas station. Wilbur Oliphant came in there, and he was the foreman on the road department at that time. And he always bought to come in every day and bought a pack of cigarettes. He always called me Dwayne too. <laughs> and uh, so I was in there Saturday that Monday morning. I was going to go work for Dale Matheny that night in the truck stop, dollar and a quarter an hour for twelve hours. And hardly uh, heard that Wilbur says, "Dwayne, what are you doing here? I thought you was working." Well, I was. I says. But, you know, I got laid off. They had a big layoff. He says, you want a job? I said, well, yeah. He says, come down to the shop in the morning. So I called McTeen. He says, I won't be in. I got a job for tomorrow. <laughs> Went to work for the road department. <laughs> didn't have a drive, didn't have a chauffeur's license. I says, I don't have a chauffeur. He says, we don't care. They filled out the application on the job and we he then they put me to work, and then I took the truck down to. Down, they, they they had a license thing in the courthouse at that time, and I went down and took my chauffeur's license. Got my chauffeur's license. <laughs> you know it is it it is like I've told you before. It's not what you know; it's who you know. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it, that's just the way the world works, and it and it's still working that way. <laughs> and uh, it's very good. <laughs> how how sweet it is. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, now, one of the things I remember a lot when I was a kid was the horses that you had. Oh, yeah. How did you end up getting a team of draft horses? That's when I I went to work for Wall Boys, and then I got in the station. Gerald Wall and I had a agreement to disagree. Well, he, well, Jerry Malota and I was, well, I was a flasher and a hot carrier, and I was a a hanger. I did everything for Wally. Anyway, if we had, when I was on the golf course, my first winter out there, Gerald Wall always bought, he, he rented that in, in Urban Depot where the, Golden Age people are over there in the interurban, along the bicycle path. Okay. And I worked in the lumber yard. Well, they would buy carloads of of plaster and carloads of uh, blueboard. Okay. And uh, I'd go over there and help them unload them. And but anyway, make a long story short, after I the first winter, I was out the golf course. Gerald and Emma, of course, they, they knew me from the lumberyard. 
And Gerald come out there one night and he says, uh, they were remodeling the Fed building down there where the city hall is now at that time. And I think that was uh, probably in the winter of 70. Anyway, Gerald says, uh, you want to come down and be a hot carrier down to the, down to the Fed building? And I said, well, yeah, I'll, I'll come down and do that. And uh, you know what a hod carrier is. You mix mud, and they put it in a trough like this. Mm-hmm. And then you put that mud that you mix in the mixer up on their board. Oh, okay. And you carry it on your shoulder. It's okay. a hod carrier. And uh, he, but he started me out at five eighty five an hour. That's not bad. No, it was good at that time. And, uh, of course, I had to join the labor's union to to uh, to work there because it was union. Well, Gerald and them wasn't, but there, some of their employees was. Well, he, say, he told me, he says, you'll probably have to join the labor's union. And it always tickled me. That guy came in about the second day I was there at work, and he says, well, we got to... Gets you in the labor's union. It's number 43, I think. Still is down Cedar Rapids. And uh, <laughs> I said, I ain't got the money to buy that, get that, but I'll I'll pay it, give you so much to ever sold off. I had the money to pay for it, but I didn't want to do it. <laughs> and because I didn't know how long the job was going to last. But it lasted well over, I worked for him off and on 10 years. Oh, wow. And, uh, Got up to 10 bucks an hour. And uh, anyway, that guy keep coming back in there. He said, you got to pay me some more money today. I says, okay. And he says, oh, by the way, he says, I hear you own a golf course up to center point. You're dragging your feet. He says, you got the money to pay me if you can own a golf course. <laughs> Oh, boy. I don't know who told him I owned that golf course. <laughs> I said, well, that's just a cow pasture pool place. It's just greens piled up, and but it worked. <laughs> Still going. It is. I haven't been out there in a long time. I haven't I, either. I've heard that they did some nice improvements. On well, I think well, they, they have. But this guy's trying to sell it now. Yeah. Right? Somebody told me he's about to go broke. <laughs> well, how did you end up getting the draft horses, though? Okay. I was working in the station. And, of course, Virgil Hines always stopped in there. And he had them horses out here. He had them draft horses out here north of town. And I liked them when we worked a team of Clydes, not Clydesdale, but draft but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, when you were growing up, because that was how you guys farmed. That's right, and uh, so Virgil, I got to go on the Waverly sale with him, and, and this and that, and then he he had a couple of mares that he, he wanted to take to Ohio and get them bred, and uh, so anyway, I Gary Webster and I. And Andy Mass from Waverly 
took them horses over to Ohio, them two mares, and Virgil's pick up in his trailer to get them bread. Well, when they had them colts, they were nice looking colts, them ones I bought up the Waverly. I think I paid around $900 for the pair of them. Okay. And, uh, was that Tim and Tom? Yep, Tim and Tom. <laughs> I used to, used to ride in the wagon with me. Yeah, I remember Tim and Tom, and I remember Marie. Yeah. And I remember Marie had, yeah, I, had I, a colt. And... I, had, I got to her. I thought I was a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got, you know, I had, as you speaking of that, me speaking of it, as the guy in Albernet told me, he says, of course, I knew him, Lester. Something was his last name. He had a lot of horses over south and east, the west of Albernet. And uh, he says, you know, Alfie? I said, yeah, what is it? He says, there's only two people who can afford horses. I says, well, who's that? Kings and fools. <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet it's expensive to keep horses. It is expensive. For the only Well, the reason is, it take well. I got too many of them. I think I had five of them down there at one time. I remember I used to ride my bike down there after school, and I'd feed them. You so remember I'd... touching that electric fence? Yeah, vividly. <laughs> <laughs> so how's that story go, Grandpa? <laughs> well, I remember how it goes. That's where I pump water for the tank. Had the electricity, but I had an electric fencer to keep them horses from riding the fence. And uh, you was down there helping me. We, we was together quite a bit. And uh, and you says, what's that? And I says, that's electric fence, Joe. And I says, Joe, don't you ever touch that because it'll bite. Pretty soon I turned around and you just a screaming. <laughs> I said, Joe, I just told you. He said, I had to see. <laughs> I still remember that. I, felt like I, get hit, I got hit with two surges from it. Before yeah, you do. It, it does. It every time that thing clicks. Everything, every time that touch. <laughs> and it's hot. Yeah, I remember I had to climb up the fence to touch it. Yep. Because <laughs> it was just the one wire along the top. <laughs> oh, I tell you. It's, it's, uh, but that's how I ended up with the horses. And I'd go to Waverly and I'd, well, I'd go up to Hookie Country. And then I'd go to the horse sales up there. And Linda used to go to the horse sale once in a while when she could get off work. And, uh, but that's how I got the horses. <laughs> now, well, we can wrap this up if you want. Well, that's all right. <laughs> well, I, we could talk for a week. <laughs> I could tell you stories that'll... This one's pretty... I mean, we've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes. We have? Yeah. Oh, that's probably enough. <laughs> we'll have to do another... We can do it. What, do you, what else do you want to hear? Um, that's probably about it for right now. I mean, if you wanted, we could talk a little bit about just... Um, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier about just the amount of changes that you've both, you know, have lived through. What do you think of the, like, kind of the state of the world right now with with... You know, as crazy as it is with everything going on with Trump and the White House, and well, it's uh, our 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 political people have went completely berserk, in my opinion, because what's wrong with 
Donald Trump, the president, and we're supposed to respect that president. He does not know how to be a president. That's what it feels like. It's hard to respect and, uh, somebody it, that keeps it, doing it, the things it, that he's doing. He just, he just does. He just, he thinks he's king. That's what it feels like. And uh, he thinks he's running his multi-billion dollar, which I read in the paper yesterday on the news last night that the Saudi Arabian people are making his Trump Tower. They come there and stay, and they're paying him Muko dollars to stay there. I know. It's just and so, he so should, much about that. He theory. should not be able to do that, being no. president. No. And uh, well, that, For me, one of the biggest things, he's such a hypocrite. Like when, when yeah, Obama was in office and like a lot of the stuff that he said, now he's turning around and doing the stuff that he was calling Obama out on. Like well, spending all this taxpayer money, see, taking the most vacation days for golf that any president's ever done. And, oh, yes. Uh, for me, it's just totally disgraceful. But but I can't imagine how it feels for, for well, you it, guys. It, you know? it, 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 it's a shame that... Uh, and no matter what it is, it's never my fault. <laughs> yeah. It's somebody else caused it. But like President Obama. President Obama he he said a he broke a history thing by being elected as a as a I don't know what do you want to call him, the black people. A black president? First black, black president. president. First black president. And he, he done a good job, but there was some of them people in the Republican side did not like him. There's probably people down in south in the in the Democratic side too. Mm -hmm. And probably the same way. But it's it's not got better. No. No, I mean I we're the country's more divided now than it ever has been. It and it's gonna be worse. Yeah, and, then and that's the part that's scary, you know, especially yeah. having two boys. Then it's like, what's the world going to be like in 10 years when Aiden's 18? Well, his daughter is fighting with him right now. The one that's married to that one guy that's the tall guy that kind of got in a little trouble. With, the Jared Kushner dude? Yeah. Okay. And uh, about him taking all these... Mexicans oh, that's yeah. coming across the border. Yeah, she sep says separating the children she is from the families. Separating the children from the from their parents. His daughter was if she had an article in the paper, I think it was yesterday. And she's not like he is. Well she gets some of it. And then what he is he's always been a womanizer. Yeah. I remember what I remember about Donald Trump when I started hearing about him was when he was on the Broadwalk in New Jersey when he his dad gave him the money to own that gambling place. And that's when he started getting to be a little out of line. Well, he was young and had a lot of money. His dad gave him a million dollars to do with what? And if we had that, we could be on the top of the wall too. <laughs> Know it helped to get a start with a leg up, right? That's right. And uh, <laughs> but it is it's uh it it's just too bad. And I but I got some good friends that are Republicans, but they they know why I'm a Democrat, and they don't bother me anymore. Well, Everett Jensen still does a little, but no, his wife got him stopped from 
teasing me about being a Democrat. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I mean, that stuff for me, it just gets old to, it is. to listen to because it's like, like with Facebook and stuff like that, when you go into the comments sections and you just find some person that's super far right, some person that's super far left. And they might as well be two sheep out in a field just butting heads. That's exactly right. Or or, well, or trying to race each other, but they're in rocking chairs. That's right. It's like you guys are doing all, expelling a lot of energy and nothing's getting done. You're a that, truck that's yeah. stuck in the mud. You're just spinning your tires. Yeah, I like I I says, if, if you're going to get mad, don't talk politics or church. <laughs> that's the, those are the rules for you never talk about those two subjects in a bar, right? That's exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky I quit drinking. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, that's been quite a few years. It has. Yeah, I, I vaguely kind of remember that. Like, I, I have memories of hanging out with you in the truck when I was a kid and driving around listening to Waylon Jensen. Jennings. Yeah. Waylon Jensen. Oh, my God. Waylon, Waylon Jennings on uh, cassette tape. That's right. And I remember going into, like, every once in a while we'd go into a bar and I'd get, like, a Pepsi or something and they'd give it to me out of that little... Gun thing, and I always thought that was so cool. But and like, I never even knew anything about you know drinking no. or anything like that. But I remember being out you at the cabin. The, you remember when it, you remember you stood in the middle of the seat. And just, <laughs> this is happy as can be. <laughs> yeah, I remember driving all over the countryside with you. But I, I remember being out at the cabin when when the, the, it turned into that big family argument with you drinking, and that was more or less when you stopped, right? Well, it started it. That yeah. started the process to stop him? Yeah. But then I, well, we lived here, and I called, Connie Dunn always told me, but of course his boy had a drinking problem. And uh, Connie told me, he says, well, now if you ever want to, he, I think he was, well, he lived over to Delhi. And I called him one day, and he told me, he says, there was a Hughes Center over to Monticello mm -hmm. in that hospital. And it's, it's, uh, anyway, I got up one day and I had made up my mind I was going to quit. Mm -hmm. And I called Connie Dunn and I said, hey, Connie, because him and I was in the station, and he drove a bus. I mm -hmm. didn't know, but anyway. Then we'll get back to this. But anyway, he drove a bus when I, I'm a, in the station. I wanted everything clean in there. And mm -hmm. I moved stuff around every so often. Because you can watch your customers as they come in. They they watch certain stuff. And that, that's that's the selling point. It keeps them a coming. But anyway, he, he come back from driving a bus and he says, What'd you move today? <laughs> but anyway, anyway, I called him and he he come and got me and took me over to Monticello and checked me in. And you know, if you check in, you can check out if you want to. Well, I I was going to their meetings and you you have to do it. Mm -hmm. You have their morning circles and stuff and talk about stuff. And I, I wasn't minding it, but I knew I had to quit drinking. And listen to people tell their stories about, well, I went to Alcohols Anonymous anyway, and there's some, 
Some people hide that whiskey. They hide it all over, like even in garden hoses and stuff. And uh, anyway, of course, they have a family night over to Monticello there. To, I think you come over with who? Rod and Susie? Okay, anyway, I think it was Rod and Susie. They come over there on a Thursday night. And I knew they was there, but I didn't get to see them. And uh, the next morning after they left, and I, about 4.30 in the morning, I packed my suitcases. And I had one suitcase, and I says, about 5 o'clock, I walked out to the desk out there, and I says, this guy was behind the desk. They had my drugs and my billfold and stuff mm -hmm. and my inhalers. And I said, well, I've meditated all night. I've come to the conclusion that I'm not going to be here. I'm leaving. He says, you can't. I says, the hell I can't. I says, you give me my billfold and my inhalers because I'm heading home. I says, if I have to walk, I will. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was by the time I cooled down a little, I called Linda and I said, would you come and get me? And of course, you know the answer to that. She says, no, I won't. So I says, okay. And I told her, I said, but Linda, I'm going to get home somehow. I haven't figured out just how. And uh, I called Dick Meyer down to Albernet Feed Mill where we were selling feed together. And uh, I said, Dick, would you uh, drive over to Monticello and pick me up? And he says, oh, can I do that? Will I get in trouble? I said, no, because I'm already checked out. And I, I had walked to the, there's a Dodge dealership so just, they did let you check out? Oh, yeah. They give me my stuff. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. They had to. Yeah, because you had checked yourself in. Yep. And, uh, but anyway, so Dick ended up coming getting me. And then he wouldn't come in, though, but he let me out at the street out there. And I walked in. Of course, she wasn't happy. And then Rod and Susie, she called Rod and Susie. They come over. I don't think your dad was working. And anyway... Of course, Monticello, the big boys got in over after the guys are doing the day shift. Mm -hmm. They called over here and said, you you come back here. I says, I ain't coming back there. And Rod and Susie is here. And, and I says, well, what do you guys think? I says, and Linda wasn't too happy about it, but she... But then she talked to Rod. Rod says, well, Dad, this is how I feel about it. He says, I want a sober dad. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, I agree with you. And I says, if you make me go back over there, I says, I won't be a happy camper. Yeah. And I might not ever come home again. <laughs> I'm at it. Yeah. Now I can go down to the cabin and have one beer or two, or your dad sometimes will mix me a, one of his toddies. <laughs> his sometimes they're pretty big, yeah. 
And I, 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 I wanted to tell him one day, I said, him and that horror hawk, I said, I drank a lot of apricot brandy, but I never bought it in a half a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because for you, I mean, like you pretty much stopped drinking, but it, it was never to the point with you where you were like, oh, if I have just a taste of alcohol, I'm going to fall completely off the no. wagon and I'm going to be a raging drunk again. It was more you kind of just got it under control. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, you could have a beer yeah, I can have a beer and, now. And I can relate to that because I, I wonder if that same sort of addictive personality runs in our family. Because well, I, I've never had any sort of problem with alcohol or anything like that. But I, when it comes to food, like, I overindulge way too much. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you what. Somebody call you? But no. anyway, <laughs> she had an uncle up to, well, she had a couple uncles, her mother's brother's. Boots, and then oh, your dad's brother, Fred wasn't it? No, it wasn't Fred. It was the one that drank a lot of Arlie, Arlie's brother. Walt, Walt, yeah, it was Walt. He drank a lot up there to Kwaski, and then Uncle Boots, he was a little bitty rascal, but he could drink a gallon of beer. Yeah, and uh, somebody did text you. Yeah, I should, I should, I should learn to, I should learn how to do that. Uh, <laughs> it's Andy. I'll see, I'll show you how to do it. And uh, and you know, and and then and then my uncle, matter of fact, had two of them. Howard, well, James wasn't wasn't a good boy either. He was in trouble a lot. He was the bus driver. Yeah. And uh, they took him back in World War Two. Howard. And Delbert and Uncle James was all in World War Two. Howard was in the deep stuff. He was hauling. Well, my my Uncle Delbert's daughters got the paperwork on all this stuff, and Howard is. I tried to get some of it from her, but she wouldn't let me have any of it. And uh, but he was a decorated army guy. But he he called he called what he he hauled troops in from the ships, and he called it a tractor. But it was a big thing, and it had a dozer on the front. And uh, anyway, he would bring them in to shore and dump them out. And I, he always told me, because uh, I used to help him once in a while, and he always told me he says it's a lot better to call haul the Marines in from them ships and it is the army guys he says you tell the marines to keep their head down they do it yeah he says the army guys don't but anyway howard Jeb, deb told me one time he come up on a well this is what howard in one of his things he brought in his thing a big thing it's a, come from the ocean and bring in a lot of them and mm -hmm. got up on the shore i don't know where they was at but he dug a hole to get get everybody under that thing and hide so they wouldn't be. They was Japanese was lopping these big 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 kind of big shells at them to uh -huh. blow them up. And Howard Howard told me this. He says, and I think it was in that one of them letters at his funeral. 
Howard had these guys all down under that tank or that whatever it was. And uh, a bullet landed on with one side and a big one landed on Miss Howard. And Howard says, fellas, we got to get out of here because the next one's going to hit right in the middle. <laughs> and it blew that thing to pieces. Oh. And they was all out from under it. And, uh, but there was a lieutenant that was talking about that at his funeral that was with Howard over in there in Japan, or over in Germany or wherever it was. I was going to tell you, somebody, is that still going? Yeah, still going. We can wrap it up if you want. Well, anyway, we could do that. <laughs> but anyway, I'll tell you. But you can shut it off if you want to, and then I'll tell you. Okay. Um, well, it was awesome talking with you. <laughs> well, it, it, it's all right to I mean, talk we, about our past. I know. Well, that and, I don't know, I just, I've put this off for so long that, I mean, I've been doing this podcast now for like a year and a half, and, you know, I talked about wanting to do an episode with you, you know, oh, before yeah, I even yeah, recorded I my that. first one. Yep. And so, you know, it, it took a while to get it done, but I'm glad we sat and talked for a well, while. Well, yeah, we got a little... Well, you never hear about our what went on. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and it, we carry it with us. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yes, it is. <laughs> and it stays. <laughs> uh, no, th- this was really good. I'm glad we did it. And um, well, uh, Yeah, I, I thank you for letting me. Let blabber on. I talk a lot. <laughs> well, that's good. That works out well for this type of show. Yep. <laughs> and uh, thank you all very much for listening. Until next time, this has been Starkcast.